Have you ever had something that was so welled up inside you that you couldn't wait to tell somebody? Something that was just so exciting that it was, as Prophet Jeremiah called it, like a fire in your bones. Something burning inside of you just had to get it out. Well, I want to tell you, I have been chomping at the bit for the last month. I haven't been able to preach. I've been preaching to myself in the car. I won myself to Christ six times. <laughs> Over the course of this last month, I have been chomping at the bit to share for the next few weeks on the most important subject in the entire world, and that is the gospel. And so that's where we're going to be. And this morning we're going to dip our toe into it, and then we're going to hear some testimonies because these testimonies are anchored in what? The gospel. Okay. So that's where we're going to be. So you're going to know the gospel inside out, backwards and forwards. And you're going to be thoroughly saturated and baptized in the gospel. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And I'm just going to kind of go through and give you the 30,000 foot view of this. But you're going to go out of here today at least knowing what is the gospel. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It's up on the screen, but I encourage you to bring it, uh, especially over the course of these next few weeks, because we may just not be resting in one spot. We may be moving around a little bit, and you'll want to follow. So here we go. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That means Paul's entrance into the Christian family was a little different than the rest of them. For I, he says, am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. The gospel. The gospel. Paul says, listen, I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of what you heard, of what you believed, that in, on which you stand, and that which will save you. I want to remind you of the gospel. Now, anybody that Paul was writing to was a new believer in Jesus, okay, it's not like they'd been in the faith for 50 years and Paul's showing back up, go, okay, let me give you a refresher course. 
He says, let me remind you, and this is important because we so easily forget. Paul says, I want to remind you of the most precious thing, the thing that is of first, first importance. I want to remind you of the gospel. And so for the next few weeks, that's what I want to do. I want to remind you of the gospel that you heard and received. I want to remind you of the gospel on which you take your stand. I want to remind you of the gospel that saved you. That's of first importance. So what is the gospel? Now, if I ask you, I might get all kinds of answers. Gospel is a track. The gospel is a prayer that you pray. I might get all kinds of answers from you, but I tell you what, today we don't have to guess and I don't have to take a poll because Paul has told us precisely what the gospel is right here. He goes, here's the gospel that you believed. And this is what he says. Go ahead to the next He says, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Folks, this is the gospel. Let me pick this apart for you. The first portion is that Christ died for our sins. That's critical. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You remember that at the temple, what took place day and night? Blood sacrifices. People brought animals. They were killed. They were slaughtered. Their blood was poured out. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus came as the once for all sacrifice. Jesus Christ, a very real man, a man who had flesh and blood, who was different from all men because he was God in the flesh, Jesus came to die. You and I are born to die too, right? But not like this. The express purpose for which Jesus came was to die. In fact, Luke's gospel about midway, about midway, Jesus makes his determination, the time has come, and it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. Knew knew what was going to happen, knew what would take place, knew he'd be arrested, knew he'd be given a mock trial, knew he'd be beaten, knew he'd be crucified. Jesus died, but he didn't just die. He died for our sins. And that was so precious this morning as I sat with one of our our children and, and, and listened to them. I said, tell me about Jesus And she said, Jesus is God, and he died for my sins. Thank you, teachers. Thank you, parents, for teaching your kids the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. But that's not the whole gospel. Because he says not only was Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, but he was buried now, now, why is that significant? It, it's not like something happened and Jesus' body was just hidden off somewhere, kind of tucked in a back room until they could kind of fake a resurrection. No, Jesus was buried. That's what they do with dead people. He was wrapped up in a cloth and put in a tomb, a cold stone tomb and a massive stone was rolled in the front of that tomb and there lay the body of Jesus 
He was buried. And for, for the world, it was the end of the story. For the, for the Jewish people who put him in there, it was the end of the story. For the Roman leaders, it was the end of the story. Big period. That's it. Chapter's over, the end. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? No. If it was the end of the story, we'd have a sad gospel. Gospel means good news. It would be bad news that God sent his son and we killed him and stuck him in a hole. No. The gospel says not only was he crucified, died, and was buried, but that he was raised on the third day. Anybody excited about Jesus being raised on the third day? This is what makes it good news. That Jesus didn't stay dead and buried. The stone didn't stay over the tomb. Jesus didn't remain wrapped up in those grave clothes. You know what? If you could find the tombs of Muhammad and Buddha, you'd find in those tombs their bones. You go to Jesus' tomb, that puppy's empty. It is vacated. He has left the premises. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ was dead. He was crucified. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And that was like Jesus looking up there and saying, see, I told you. Didn't I tell you? I I told you this was going to happen. I I told you we were going to Jerusalem. I told you the Son of Man would be arrested. I told you the Son of Man would be crucified. But I also told you, hey, don't, don't put on your sad face. Put on your dancing shoes. Because on the third day, he's coming out. And that's precisely what happened. And that's the good news. And that's the gospel. The gospel that you've heard. The gospel that you've believed. The gospel in which you take your stand. The gospel which will save you if you don't already know it. Now listen, I don't want to leave this part out. Because this is good. Because twice in these verses here, he says this, according to the scriptures. Listen, this makes the good news extra good. This is like the sugar coating on the Krispy Kreme donut. Or if you prefer the ones with cream filled, this is the cream that's filling the inside. Whatever your analogy would be, this is it. God already said it was going to happen. God already said, listen, this is what's going to happen. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. When God put Adam and Eve on the planet and he let them go around doing all their stuff and said, listen, enjoy yourselves, have fun, be fruitful and multiply, just leave that tree alone. Do you think that when Adam and Eve went to that tree and ate of that fruit, do you think God went, I never expected that. I never thought that would happen. No. From all eternity past, God has had this plan. Jesus was never God's plan B because we messed up plan A. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. God said it was going to happen over and over and over and over again in the Psalms, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and all the prophets. They said there's a time coming. There's a time coming when God is going to do something that's never been done before. 
He's going to come, Emmanuel, God with us, a child born in Bethlehem, who's going to be unlike any other child. He's going to live a life teaching good things and pointing the way to the kingdom. And they're going to kill him. It's going to happen. But God is going to win. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard, that many of you have believed, many of you take your stand on it. It is the only gospel, the only gospel that can save you. This is it. And before we get to the testimonies, I want to share another testimony with you. And I'm just going to read this. I printed it extra bold so I could read it. And I'm going to get up here in the good light so I can read it. One of the greatest Baptist preachers in the history of Baptist life is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was struggling with what was true, what was right, what he should believe. Um, And he he was under a lot of conviction, but he didn't know what to do with it. And he tried every avenue he knew. But I want to share with you the story that comes out of his autobiography, and then we're going to hear some of your stories of what God's done through this month. And So I'm just going to read it to you, and pardon me for that, but it was too much to memorize. And this is what he writes in his autobiography. He says, I sometimes think I might have been in darkness and despair until now had it not been for the goodness of God and sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning while I was going to a certain place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a side street and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel And in that chapel, there may have been a dozen or 15 people. I'd heard the primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly and they made made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I wanted to know how I might be saved. And if they could tell me that, I did not care how they made my head ache. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. At last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort went up into the pulpit to preach. Man, as well that preachers should be instructed. But this man was really stupid. He wrote that. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had little else to say. And his text was, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly. But that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope in that, for me in that text. The preacher began thus, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a great deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand Uh, A thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some on ye say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. 
And then the good man followed up his text in this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I'm dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. And when he'd gone to about that great length and managed to spin out 10 minutes or so, he was at the end of his tether. And then he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so, so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And just fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to having remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow. It struck right home. He continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey it now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And I saw at once the way of salvation. I know not what else he said. I did not take much more notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought, like when, a, when the brazen serpent was lifted up and the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which, to, which looks to him alone. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you will be saved. Yet it was, no doubt, all wisely ordered. And now I can say, Ever since by faith I saw that stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. The gospel, it's simple, it's true, and it'll change your life. There's some of you whose lives have been touched and changed by the gospel this past month. And we want to give you an opportunity to come up just, just a couple of minutes and to share what God has done in your life and your family over the course of these last few weeks during our Harvest of Hope emphasis. And so this microphone right here is open, and I want to encourage you to just come and use it. And I'm going to start over here with Mike, because Mike's already told me. <laughs> Mike, Mike uh, Yarborough grabbed me pretty quick and said, i got something to say. So Mike... I'm going to just give you this mic. Just hold your hand out. I'm going to let you hold it. All right? This is Mike Yarborough. You might remember we baptized him a couple of weeks ago after his profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Mike, go ahead. I'd like to say that uh, Christ, I found hope in Christ. Amen. And last night, I warned I led my four great nephews to the Lord. Amen. And they get baptized today. They live in Iowa. So I pray for them. 
and always pray for me. But I, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he died on the cross for us. No matter in what color we were, he still died on the cross Amen. for us. And rose again on third day. And I love every one of you. I might be blind, but I want to do something for the Lord Jesus. Because he in my life. Amen. And you not say, can't find hope. There's something wrong. <laughs> Will you? Because I feel Jesus in this church. I feel more power every day. Amen. Without Jesus, we ain't nothing. Amen. So 50 ways. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. Mm. I love every one of you. Pray for me. Thank you, Mike. God bless you. I don't know if you heard that, but last night on the phone, was it on the phone? He led his four nephews to Jesus on the phone. What's that? Great nephews. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That is, that's awesome. They called you. They didn't know what they were getting in for, did they? Oh, my goodness. That is, what a beautiful. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, my story won't compare to that one. But if God has, has done something, has laid something on your heart that you want to share, this is, this is your time. Let me just go ahead and call you up. Don't, don't be shy. Would it be easy if I brought the microphone to you rather than you having to come to it? Well, not now. I can't even believe I'm doing this, but um, this is way, way, way out of my comfort zone. <sighs> For many years of my life, um, my late teens and early 20s, I battled with substance abuse. It's the first time in my life I have vocalized this to anybody other than family. But um, this past month, I have been delivered from that, finally. God has saved my marriage. He has saved my relationship with my children. Um, he has put someone in my life that's been able to fill the shoes of um, an alcoholic father that's never been there for me. Um, I just I cannot say enough good things about what God has done in my life. I became a Christian when I was 12 years old, but it would end up taking me another 19 years to get to where I am now. And I don't know anybody that would give you 19 years to do your own thing, neglect them, do everything that they told you not to do, and then take you back and love you the same way that they did when you found them all those years ago. I have been in the presence of God many times this past month like I never dreamed possible. 
and I am forever changed, forever changed. And I am just so thankful for this church, for you guys as my family, our family. Um, so thankful for that man right there and what God's doing in his life. And, you know, our oldest child was baptized on in March of this year. So clearly he's moving in, in our lives and he is already doing works in her to where she's ministering to other children at school. Um, I just, I'm just blessed. I'm so blessed and I'm so thankful to be alive because I should have died so many times. So many times I should have died, but I'm still here. So there's got to be a reason. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Grace. Um, First off, I would like to thank each and every one of you for your prayers, for your love. When I first got here, I was very ill. (laughs) Someone had to walk me to my seat. I've been through a lot. God saved me. In the midnight hour, when no one was there, he was there. I'm in a new city with no family, but I got a new family. It's called Grace Fellowship. Amen. God God has done some amazing things in my life. I was in the ICU at St. Mary's at Athens. That transported me from one hospital to another one. And, um, I mean, I, I could barely walk or talk. I was bedridden. But look at me now. I'm up. I'm walking. I'm talking. Um, I'm staying in the shelter right now. But I'll be out of there soon because this week God has blessed me with a job. Amen. Not only has he blessed me with a job, I found a house to live in. Not only have God blessed me with a house, I'm going back to school and I start in January. (laughs) I was a little intimidated at first because I'm 37 years old and I was like, wow. I have an 18-year-old daughter, and I'm going to be in class with people her age. And, you know, I haven't seen algebra in 20 years. <laughs> and I had to take the test to, you know, get back in there. But I passed all my tests, and um, I didn't even have to pay any money. All of my financial aid is set, and I'm going to be an LPN, and then I'm going to RN, and I'm going into hospice because I want to do ministry And I want to do more around here in Grace Fellowship. And if you guys can put me in any ministry, anywhere you need help, please put me because I want to go to work for Jesus. Amen. I love you. I love you.
I'm going to speak for Brianna. Um, we're just very thankful that the Lord used um, a service this month uh, to draw Brianna to him, um, that he brought her to the realization of sin uh, and what it is in her life, and he showed her Jesus. Um, Jesus is the one that can take away sin. And um, Brianna said to me one night, during the service she was desperate she said I need Jesus mama she wanted to put her name on the cross so bad and she was desperate to do that because she knew that that was where salvation is found and so we're thankful for that we're thankful for our church family and uh, we ask you to just um, walk alongside her Amen. walk alongside her as she grows in Christ Well, well, no, I didn't, but uh, we'll see what's happening here. Okay. Well, somebody just reminded me I have two minutes. Uh, yeah, clock's <laughs> I'm not, ticking. I'm not afraid to speak. I'm not afraid to speak. My name is Shirley Henry. I just arrived Thursday from Fort Myers, Florida, uh, so I am now a resident of Greensboro. Um, and, and from what I've seen so far this morning, I think I've found my new church. Amen. <laughs> <clears throat> The testimony that you didn't expect to hear was, I have atrial fibrillation. Just found out about it uh, Labor Day weekend. But I've had four trips by EMS to the hospital. The last trip, I have an EMT explaining to me that he's going to give me medicine to stop my heart and try and restart it. Now, what's the first thing that goes to your mind? You either say, help me, Jesus, or you say, what do I do? Well, listen, here I am. What do I do? My heart stopped and started. I never lost consciousness that I'm aware of. I am 60 years old. I'm a widow. Been by myself a long time. Pretty much a type A, very hyper have a lot of energy. I plan to do some great things here. And I plan to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. Because <clears throat> I'm still here. Amen. And surely I think you'll find there will probably be some people ready to sign you up as you leave today. So. <laughs> You didn't even make it back to your seat before you... Okay. <laughs> Getting the Kleenex ahead of time. Well, I'm, I'm not saying... Don't cry. I, I armed you before we got here. I... Uh, I know this is about what happened in October, but I got to go back just a little bit over a year. Get two minutes. To, I know. <laughs> Tommy, turn the clock down, please. <laughs> um, we lost my father about a year and a half ago, 
and uh, we've just been on it's just been a chain of events ever since then and uh, I want to say thank you to Pastor Jimmy and my heart just for him and this church because when my father passed away I was out of town uh, Pastor Jimmy was there that night and after I got that call this church just responded in such an awesome way for our family they Mills support inviting us in and just wow it was incredible because I lived in Dublin and my mom was here and there was I felt like wow what do I do now you guys made took that fear away thank you very much and at that time we started praying we said you know me and Tona we really feel like that's where we got to be and how do we get there I'm an engineer, and I was worried about finding a job here, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And about three or four weeks ago, uh, Tona called me and said, hey, there's a job in uh, Eatonton that sounds like it's right up your alley. You need to get a resume in. I said, I'll do it. I can't stand doing that kind of stuff. I can't stand it. It's paperwork. I don't like doing it. I said, I'll do it when I get home. I'll do it when I get home. Uh, actually, I guess it was about two months ago because I let about a month go by. I didn't do anything. And uh, then about that month later, Tona calls me at work and says, that lady just called me. She's on the phone, and you need to get her a resume by lunch. I did. I went and talked to them, and I start tomorrow. (laughs) God just, I I tried to ignore it, and he just said, nope, this is what you got to do. And he took care of us there. And our houses, we're selling our house now. And I'm not, I'm not worried. I have not one time through this worried at all because I know God's hand is on this and he's going to take care of us. And I felt a little bad when I left work on Friday because I wasn't, I don't know, I guess I expected I'd be sad. I'm leaving a lot of good people. i got a lot of friends there. But I just know that this is where God wants us. Uh, we joined the church two weeks ago, and I know that this is where God wants us. If it's home. We knew it was home. And uh, so I just I, I just go into this with no anxiety, knowing that God's got His hand on it. And I love you guys, I love this church, and I love God. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Anyone else? You just can't stand it. You got a fire in your bones. Oh, there you are, Chris. Go right ahead. I'm looking this way, and here he comes. If y'all can't see me in the back, you might want to stand up. I'm standing up. Um, <laughs> uh, a year ago, uh, my wife and I came to uh, uh, Greensboro uh, for a three-week vacation, golf vacation. First night, we went out to eat, and I had a heart attack, um, like Shirley was talking about. Um, they rushed me to um, St. Mary's and used the paddles twice, so I was literally gone twice, but they uh, gave me a stent and transferred me to Emory, where the next day the cardiologist came in and he said, well, a third of the people have the heart attack like you have. Well, number one, only one out of a hundred make it out of, the, out of the ambulance, but a third of the people get better, a third get worse, and a third stay the same, which is not really a very good condition. You can't walk and walk up these stairs. Um, but they gave me some, a miracle drug called milrinone 
which I, I don't know if you remember, I started coming to church here and I had my bag on a kind of a fanny pack and it would drip melanone into my heart, which was like an adrenaline. And my sister, I love my sister, but she wants me to know everything about everything. And she, she sent me an article saying that uh, melanone works for a while. And then after one year, the chances of fatality is 100%. I said, thank you, sister. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, by the grace of God, uh, I was put on the transplant list, and uh, the milrinone began to not work so well in, in June. And we decided to move into ICU, which would put me up higher on the transplant list, uh, priority list. We moved, uh, decided to, to take the test to try to move into the ICU. And um, went home that night and got the call, totally unrelated to that meeting, got the call that there was a heart waiting for me at Emory that night. So I rushed, obviously rushed to Emory, thinking, ooh, they're going to move me right in, they're going to take me right to the operating room, everything's going to be great. They just decided to give me a room. I said, I don't want a room, I want a heart. And they decided to give me a room, and so... I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep the night before you're supposed to have a heart transplant, but I didn't sleep that good that night. I couldn't sleep at all. Um, but they finally did come and get me the next day and had the transplant, and I was, you know, feared the, the, the pain that was going to happen because they cut your chest open and all that. I won't get graphic, but just fear the, the, the pain, and I had no pain. Thank God I had no pain. Um, I did, right before the transplant, though, Rick comes walking into the operating room. And I was scared to death because I thought he was taken over as a heart surgeon. <laughs> and I said, this is not going to be good if he's my heart surgeon. But uh, it was all totally successful. I walked out of the hospital uh, after the transplant within one week. And... Um, praise God, praise Jimmy and Rick and our, our grace group in this church. And I love you very much. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. I want to take things out of order right now. Um, there are times where you just sense the presence of God in an overwhelming way, and this is one of those times. And so I'm just going to ask our, our elders and those who are serving the Lord's Supper to come right now. And we want to strike while the iron is hot. And I believe uh, it is. You, you've seen it. You've experienced it so many times, the bread and the cup. It's no mystery what they signify, the body of Jesus crucified, buried, resurrected. The blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the gospel. You share in the gospel. 